Hello, this is Phantom Electric Ghost. We are recording. Christina? Hello. So your last name, how you spell Baloo? It's Baloo. Baloo, Baloo. Okay. So it's um, Blue, and then you um, also um, say Blue It Up, right? Yeah. Is how you're referred to? <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's, it's my last name, but... It was catchy enough to just go by that. Everybody already called me that anyway, so. So, yeah, this is an interview. We are a podcaster. We interview indie artists from around the world. And we have um, Blue It Up or Blue It um, or Blue. Um, So you're an American DJ. Yeah. And uh, you say you're a model as well and comedian and uh, DJ and producer. So. We're going to talk uh, with the questions we, we sent you. We should have sent them early. Sorry. We thought we had some. Okay. But um, uh, yeah, we're happy to have you on the program. And we're going to kind of start with what we normally do with every artist. We ask like, well, when did you first get into music? And at what age did you um, think that you wanted to get into music? Okay. Um, gosh, I don't, I can't even give you an age. I'd say like from the beginning, I've just always really liked music. Like as long as I can remember but um I didn't start like DJing until uh, a little over a year and a half a year and a half ago <laughs> but so it's like some people they get into music they become producers they become DJs become you know vocalists or singers so it seems like you were more into the producer type of uh, or DJing end of the end of the business but kind of when you get first got into music um what type of music were you really into and what made you go toward like the producing kind of DJ side of the business? Um, well, okay. When I was like in school still, I was kind of in a band, but I was supposed to sing in it and I was like super shy. So it didn't work out. <laughs> and then um, I don't know. I, I realized that I'm not like the type of person to get out in front of people and like perform like that. And then DJ just kind of mm-hmm. worked because you know, you're behind a booth. I don't know. It's just different. But, um, and then, I don't know, I just started playing around and making my own beats, and then now I'm in school for it. <laughs> so, so, so w- when you started to work on music, when did you decide, like, a lot of people get in music, they, you know, they do cover bands, or they just they do weddings, they, they don't make the decision to, like, write their own music. So what made you feel like you wanted to write your own music? Was this your love for music and then you decided you had like your own voice that you wanted to say something? Yeah, I mean, music? I've always wanted to make music. I just didn't exactly know how I wanted to do that. Like what would work for me, I guess. And so this is just the idea of electronic music and with, you know, like I'm an old school electronic music, like electronic music to me is like having a Moog and a Roland like Jupiter and actually playing it. I'm a keyboardist. I'm, you know, I'm an organ player. I'm a piano player. So I'm kind of from the old school of being in bands. I was in tons of bands and I decided to kind of start producing on my own, but using traditional hardware synthesizers rather than soft synths. But now what I've seen, you know, cause I'm in my fifties and, you know, it, the idea that you can make music like in the box you know, on the computer is, is a totally different thing than what I came up with. Um, and so did that, you know, and now you're in school for it. It's just interesting. It seems to have made it so there are more people who maybe probably couldn't get that entry level of, of you know, getting past the fact to learn how to play a bass guitar or guitar or being a vocalist. And now there seems to be a way that you can express yourself with the technology. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um. So, yeah, so I'm just wondering... Um, like when you decided you wanted to get into this end of the business, even the technology to some people is kind of like intimidating. So you felt comfortable with the whole concept of what you have to do to become electronic. Um, I mean, it definitely took some learning, but, uh, but I was familiar with DJ software, which sort of has similar things you have to know, I guess. So it was not like I completely walked into it, like not knowing anything. Like I had to know how to like beat match things and, you know, but um, actually Chance the Closer ended up teaching me in the beginning um, most of what I knew. 
Yeah, I see that you collab you collaborated with him a lot. So he'd already been like an established um, electronic yeah. producer, and then he he took you under his wing and that is exactly what things. happened. <laughs> so it's interesting. What I've I've actually you know, I was I was watching a documentary on Amy Winehouse, and her producer actually had been a DJ, and then he got really deep into production, uh, and then you know got to more like you know musician side of it. And learning how to actually direct, you know, physical musicians, not just, you know, on the on on the on the on the grid. But it's interesting what what they said was the fact that he had been a DJ, he kind of knew what a hit was. You know, he knew what a beat was. He knew how to get a crowd. He knew what if he was working on something with Amy, he kind of had that kind of capability of knowing what's yeah. going to work. And and that's kind of a cool thing, place to start because then if you know what gets the crowd going, then when you write a song, you could actually have an idea of what the hook should be, what you know, what the drop should be, what's going to get people active, what's pe- going to get people interested. So it's actually a kind of a really good place to start in, in music to have that kind of that vision. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so one of the things I always ask is like your influences in, in the fact that you're, you're in the kind of DJ EDM electronic place. Well, who are the people that influenced you? Um, and who are your like reference points, the people you look up to in, in oh, your God. genre? <laughs> There's so many people I look up to. Um, obviously Kezo is like my favorite and Slander. Like those are the two, um, like main people. But I mean, like I, God, there's so many artists. Like I couldn't even begin to tell you, like how many people have probably influenced me over the years. So yeah, a lot of artists is like it's like it's kind of like like every musician is kind of you're all the reference points and all the people they they grew up listening to end up kind of unconsciously being like in in your in yeah. how you play like being a yeah being a keyboardist like I'll look to like a guy like Tony Banks. Or Keith Emerson, or Rick Wakeman, you know Stevie Wonder. There's certain people that that when you become a keyboardist, you might might start off learning Chopin or Bach or whatever. You learn the classical stuff, and then you kind of branch into what you want. And it ends up like when you're playing, sometimes you just end up pulling something unconsciously into your music. And somebody says, "Hey, did you really mean to put that line in?" And it's kind of like it just came out the fact that I kind of have it in my yeah. head. <laughs> That, so, so all the things that you have in your head and the more things you have, the more diverse your sound, you know, because you can kind of bounce them around yeah. and then be- become something new. And so it sounds, it sounds, so it's interesting in your sound. I do hear a lot of uh, collision of sound. <laughs> there's like, there's like a lot of cacophony and it's cool because it's like kind of like, I've always liked in music, this idea of like yeah. a punk aesthetic or the, kind of like a Trent Reznor kind of thing. Um, and, and that's cool. I hear kind of like a Trent Reznor kind of harder edge in some of your music um, when you're doing it. And I was listening to it, so I <laughs> fundamentally I mental. And it, it's got like that kind of kind of really hard driving kind of, you know, like it's electronic, but I can hear kind yes. of a punk aesthetic. And, and that's, is that kind of what you're going for that you like that kind of harder <sighs> metal? I punk, do, punk but I, I mean, I like everything. I, like that's the hardest question. Like when people ask what kind of genre I go for, I don't really have one, which I think is why I like slander and Kazo so much as they don't really either. They just kind of do whatever they want. <laughs> and, but I mean, yeah, I'd usually, I usually like, yeah. I do prefer to go a little bit harder, but then some of my stuff is a little bit not so rough around the edges. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could be here. Yeah. Fundamentally met, met Mental has that kind of hard punk edge. Then Blast Off is more, you know, or or, or trifle. Um, there's other songs that don't, that maybe have pieces of it, but they, yeah, you're kind of very diverse in the five songs I've I've, I've been listening to off your Spotify. Um, they are diverse in their sound. Even in the same yeah. song, you've got diverse elements. You've got hip hop. You've got punk. You've got trance and EDM. And it's not just straight EDM. It's got other things like, you know, trip waves, all kinds of stuff going on. You can't really pin it down, which is kind of like what I do with my sound. I call it expansive sound, which basically is to try not yes. to pin it down. 
It's expansive. That means I can pull jazz in. I can pull progressive rock in. I can do some hip hop. I can do some country. You know, I can do whatever I want. If I feel like Johnny Cash, I'm going to do something like Johnny Cash. You know, if you feel like Freddie Mercury, I'm going to do some Queen. You know, is whatever I'm going to feel like. I mean, I, I could get some Tyler the Creator or Earl Sweatshirt in there. Um, it's kind of whatever I, I'm feeling at the moment. Um, and I think in this age, that's one of the cool things about music. The fact that we have this way of, of doing production where you could bring in samples, you know, old soul songs and bring yes. a line in and have a hip hop beat, like have some 808 beat or a 909 or a 727 rolling drum machine or actually sample like a groove from an obscure Yes, um, soul song and then bring something in and then have something that's like wow there's like that's why I, li- I kind of like I'm wondering like when you choose to sample or choose to do things do you try to go things for like deeper cuts that maybe aren't as well known so that you can kind of use it without it feels more original or, or how, how do you choose like uh, it just depends <laughs> I usually I just hear something and I like it and then I just build around it like it I don't really I mean, I probably should go for things that people probably don't sample <laughs> as often, but I just, if I like it, I'll take it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really. So what, how, how when you, so you just kind of, kind of, are you more of a feel based at the moment you, you heard something and that kind of drives you to say, oh, yeah, like if you're going to go sample something, it's like, are you just like, you're in the mood to make a song or you just have some kind of moment that like, oh, I'm going to be creative. Like, what's I really, your song <laughs> it's all over the place. It's um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes I, sometimes I start with like, I'll find some vocals and I'm like, wow, I should do something with these. And then I'll just kind of like write around it. But sometimes I'll just have like a drum beat in my head and I'll go make it and then throw that down. And then like a month later, come back to it and be like, I, I should finish this. And then something crazy comes out of it. That was not, what I was originally going for. It just, I don't really have a method. It's very ADHD. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Cause I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was reading a, a documentary from a band that I'm really into called, um, the, well, I, I won't get into, but they, 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 they were kind of traditionalist and they like, well, we always start with like the, the drum and the bass. And then you'll hear some people like when they're into songs, they always kind of like a fundamental thing always starting with like the kicks and the bass drums and, and the bass lines. But that's not always how, you know, in, in the 40 interviews I've done with tons of artists, that that is kind of like a traditional process. You'll get a lot of bands that'll say that, or a lot of artists, but then there's a lot of artists that was like yourself would say, well, that kind of goes, comes like wherever the inspiration is. I could be walking in a forest, I could be walking on the bus with my phone. You know, I could just be sleeping and I wake up and I got this idea. So, it, you know, some people just kind of have this idea with the muse, kind of like from poetry, this idea the Victorian poets had, like William Blake and Tennyson, all these guys. They felt like there was this universal thing that people could tap into when, when they're artists, and they can kind of come out of nowhere. And they kind of called it the muse, and it just happens. And, and some people like to be more specific and say, I, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write something. And other people feel like, well, I'm just going to tap into the universe, and it, when it gives me something, I'm going to take. That's it. more my speed. <laughs> more your speed, yeah. Which is like, you know, I think that some people, I think a lot of times, if you're an artist and you sit down, like oh, I'm going to write this thing, right? That, that never, never works, works for me. <laughs> yeah, and even the people who say that they like they try to plan things out, they even when they plan it out, once they bring it into the studio then the, their plan kind of goes, like, it's not going to be their plan. It's going to be whatever the producer and the other other people in the band actually take it and turn it into something better than what they could have imagined. So, like, like so when you collaborate, um, how does that work now? Especially with COVID, how do, how do you actually work? Do you work, like, remotely on your, 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 your DAW or do you actually go into a studio, you know, maybe pre-COVID or post-COVID? How, how, well, how I didn't know that? how to produce before COVID. That was kind of a COVID thing I learned. Um, but usually, like, the only person I've collabed with really is Chance. Um, we just, like, I'll work on something and then I'll send it to him and then he'll, you know, like, I'll he'll work on it and then send it back. And we'll just kind of go back and forth until we 
have something we both like. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's interesting because prior to COVID, like I'm a like pretty much a, you know one person operation, um, but I, I I had done a bunch of collaborations. I did something with like a full rock band in New York City. We actually put this thing out with this band called Lonnie Claire, and we never met. And this was pre-COVID. We, I, you know, I didn't drive to New York and go to the studio. We were sending files back and forth, and and working on it that way. And and then I did the same thing with this lady in Los Angeles, who was um, an actor, uh, and she wanted to get into electronic music. And we put together a project doing the same thing. So I was kind of like a little bit ahead of that COVID curve because I was already working that way. <laughs> so, so it was, it was when the COVID happens that, well, I never really, I had no proof when I was a kid, you know, in my fifties, I had all these bands we practiced in the garage, traditional like four piece <laughs> rock bands and punk rock bands. So we would, we would practice in basements and garages and like warehouses and stuff. And so I'm familiar with doing that, but it's interesting that now a lot of people are doing what I've been doing for the last like four years is like this kind of like remote, yeah. collaboration and some some people have found that they they have a hard time with it and other people have found that they've been very productive yeah. so do you feel that you've been able to really get what you want out of a song yeah i mean for the way? most part i think honestly like the only thing i can say that holds me back is just lack of knowledge like i like the way like doing it remotely i just wish i had more like knowledge on how to make music but I'm learning. Yeah, so maybe that gets into your classes at Berkeley. Are you still yeah. doing that remotely? So is it all learning how to do like recording engineering and, and DAW type work? Is that what they're teaching you? Um, all of it. Um, yeah, I'm going for my bachelor's in electronic music production and sound design. Um, so they're, we're doing like huh? everything like from the ground up. The music theory. I'm going to learn how to use um, Reason, and they're going to train me more in Ableton and then Logic. Um, and then I'm also taking a DJ course there. How much? How much do they actually teach? Because I remember Berkeley used to have like a, a real heavy electronic music um, department, and I actually talked to guys at Sweetwater to kind of go through it. And you know, when I can, I have modes and like Jupiter's and like hardware synths. So in terms of like, like the actual using like a Moog and actually a subtractive synthesis or an additive synth, do they teach you guys like the theory of how you use an LFO, how you use envelopes, how you use like uh, sound design from like the waveform up? Are you taking courses like that or more, more not, more, more the other? I have DJ no idea. Stuff? I think we're supposed to learn all of it, but I just started this semester. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know there are courses that actually teach you how to use Moogs and how to actually build those sound weight forms. Because, like, the one thing, like, just, just, I don't know if you haven't dealt with it, and probably within your DAWs you've seen it, is the fact that you can build tones from the scratch. Yes. From scratch. You can actually go through the synthesizer workflow, which is called subtractive synthesis, which is called East Coast synthesis, which was created by, like, Robert Moog, who created the Moog. And then there's a guy named Bukla. They created this additive synthesis they call West Coast synthesis, which is a different type of design of a form. Waveform kind of starts off from a sine wave. But that's all stuff that if you get into, which it sounds like you're going to get into, is really cool. Um, but it kind of goes toward the idea of the hardware sense kind of teach you that. And I would think, well, there's all these software sense you can use that can replicate these hardware sense, but I'm kind of a purist. I can use the real hardware. But... Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you can get to everything I'm doing with my hardware with the, with the emulators. So is that something that you're psyched about getting into or more is that part of it? Why, why, why you took the, the, the I'm degree? I'm honestly excited about all of it. Um, I took the degree or chose this, I guess, pathway, um, because I just wanted to know more, like, I guess the technical side of everything. So I'm hoping to learn like everything <laughs> yeah that's awesome well i think that's it's cool to have a foundation like that because i kind of backed into it by actually just <laughs> having the stuff <laughs> playing for like 20 years and if you own 
like a hardware synth, you end up, you know, reading the manual, figuring, going all the YouTube courses, and just been playing it for yeah. twenty years. You kind of figure it out. Um, but but it, 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 I would I always wanted to go to Berkeley, but I was kind of told by my parents yeah. to do something more sensible. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, went, I went to I went to Bowdoin, and I got like into computer science and stuff. And that kind of roundabout way, I got into electronic music because of the computer science stuff I did. I kind of was like, whoa. I, the electronic music sounds more interesting than doing um, actuarial oh, yeah, stuff for an definitely. insurance company. <laughs> uh, um, but it's, it's just interesting today what you can do electronically um, that is like opening up uh, the industry to all kinds of people. Especially one of the things I, I do a lot is I interview a lot of female artists. And just coming up when I came up, yeah. most bands were all male. You know, you didn't have a lot of women in the industry. And I think what's actually made it easier for women to get in the industry, not that you didn't have the Joni Mitchells and Carol Kings and, you know, Karen Carpenters, but it seems like the, most of the people I interview are women. Most of the bands I, I interview today are female centered bands. That, that's awesome. <laughs> it just seems like there's more going on with women getting into the music industry today at all levels. I've talked to female punk bands, riot girl bands, EDM producers, classical violinists, you know, all kinds of people getting into music. And most of the, this, the most interesting stuff I've dealt with, I, mean, I still deal with male bands, but uh, it seems like women artists are being paid attention to more. And in terms of like new material, or interesting material that I'm interested in. It seems like there's more dynamicism going on on the female yeah. side of the industry. <laughs> it's different. Across the board. I guess. Women do things. Well, I think there's voices that weren't heard. Now you're hearing yeah. a different perspective, you know, and I think that ends up being interesting. So because growing up, you all, you know, you just listen to the Beatles and Pink Floyd and you get that point of view, right? But then you start hearing other people's point of view and you say, wow, I didn't hear that before. You just get drawn yeah. into it, you know. So as a goal as an artist, are you primarily focused on on singles because the way Spotify playlists are? Or are you working toward like EPs um, or albums? I've got an EP that's I'm hoping to release next month, but it's looking real month after that these days. <laughs> but um yeah i'm gonna do that and see how that goes i'm not really sure the best way to release i know a lot of artists are doing just singles right now and i don't know if that's like i'm so new i don't know like what's the best way to do it but um yeah i've heard a lot of artists are kind of in this mode that it's kind of weird it's kind of historic we have kind of a shift like in the late 60s and 70s was the the the, um the, the age of the album which was brought on by like Beatles, yes. Sgt. Pepper, you know, the, the fact that you could have an album and it actually had a theme. And then you got, the, then you had bands like Pink Floyd and The Who doing like rock operas. Um, and there's that whole idea that in the 70s, artists would put together albums that were so kind of thematic that you would end up getting the whole album because it actually had a lot of songs on it that people dug and it made sense. And vinyl kind of forced you to listen um, to the yeah. whole thing. Um, and now today, we're kind of going backwards to the idea in the, in the 50s, it was the 78 and the 45. And you really listen to singles. And Spotify has kind of brought in the you know iTunes and the titles of the world have changed things to kind of go back to that old like Motown model, which they just release singles like every week. And then eventually all the hits would come out onto a record, but that record would be nothing yeah. but hits. You know, you pick up a Smokey Robinson album, it'll yes. be all the hits. Um, and, and so it seems like today a lot of bands have switched to that kind of model of like, we'll just put out, you know, a song every two weeks, every month. Um, because the way the market is, the only way to get paid attention to is if people constantly see you or hear from you. Um, and then eventually you kind of look at what worked and then you put an EP together, kind of like Motown did, of all your best hitting tracks, the ones that get the most plays, and then you put that out. 
<laughs> that seems to be yeah but but then there's still artists I talk to that have themes you know that want to put together records that have a theme and if you're trying to make a statement and it's more than one song then they tend to to do that so do you have songs that kind of seem to work together as a collection or do you kind of just put together things and then say well that, these kind of work together but you do you actually plan it out that this EP will actually have things that are kind of in this that work <laughs> no. together. My EP is definitely um, diverse. <laughs> they are everything's very different on it. Um, like even from what's on the EP, which I guess doesn't make sense. But yeah, <laughs> that's a cool thing. I know. No, there there are artists that used to do that. I mean, one big famous oh, artist that comes to mind is Prince. You know, Pr- Prince would put together albums with really varied song structures for each song and then a lot of people would say well how can you do that and well he, he would do that <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of forced it because he, he was such a good musician he could kind of make it work um and and so but it, like later in life he continued to do it and then everybody you know started oh that didn't work see it didn't work but 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 the fact is you know he was doing it from yeah the <laughs> and, and his people kind of either still dug what he was doing or decided you know they didn't like it but it wasn't something he really changed he was doing it from the beginning but it, it's interesting to me because i think that was like genre crossing you know like what you're talking about how you kind of feel all these different things and you put it into your music because you kind of just feel that's what it is and i think an artist that feels free to do that to me is very interesting because then you're not stuck you know, doing the same song. Some bands just keep on retreading their, yeah. their one song and, and keep on re- doing a retread of it. And no, it seems like you don't, don't. want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't listen to, like, one type so, of music. So, you, so, like, I wouldn't want yeah. my own music to just be one sound. I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of like the industry has a habit of like whatever is your biggest song, it like it like the machine of the of the of the of the record industry that continues to exist and the one that previously exists. If you do a song like a Purple Rain, Warner Brothers wants you yeah. to keep on doing Purple Rain, or they want you to keep on doing 1999 yes. and run it into the ground. Um, this that's kind of what they want, and that's no even if you don't do it, they'll get a clone. Yep. To <laughs> <laughs> you know so then they probably then they what happens is the genre kind of gets played yep. out like what happened with disco and what and what can happen to edm if it gets played if you continue to keep on doing the same structure then people eventually get bored with it if it's not diverse enough um so like any genre can get kind of forced into a, you know it's kind of peak period and then kind of fall away if people don't kind of realize that genres expand when the innovators are allowed yeah. to kind of break some of the rules you know so that would like one of the things that, that it sounds like you you're kind of a, a believer is like well if there's a rule you don't really have to follow that rule you kind of feel, you feel what the song services the song you kind of believe like whatever that is exactly the song how is I what feel. I'm gonna do. <laughs> do you find that there are there are people that that they when you work with as musicians and maybe don't think that way and then you have to you know work with folks like that or 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 kind of hear people's opinions who think well you know you should just do it this way you know and and how do you handle that kind of advice (laughs) uh well um i don't know i've like one of the songs on my ep i let a few people hear and all of them, like pretty much everybody was like, well, I mean, it just doesn't flow like, you know, you would expect it to. You might want to like add this here or like change that there, or maybe add something like it goes quiet there. And like I tried to mess with it, but I had already submitted it um, the way it was. And it actually ended up getting picked up, <laughs> but um, like by a label, which it was I was kind of shocked because that was the one I actually was about to pull from the EP because everybody just seemed to not really like it because it didn't follow the rules, I guess. Which I thought that was interesting. <laughs> that That's what I think is really, that's like super interesting because if you think about it, like like all the people in my, you know, that influenced me, like a guy like Lou Reed in the Velvet Underground, like 
what he did with the Velvets was totally against the grain. You know, he, he shouldn't sing songs about like waiting for the man or like heroin or all these things that he did. You're not supposed to do that. Right. That's not going to work. Right. And then eventually that ended up creating a whole genre like 30 years later where, where people said that, you know, alternative music and grunge music went there. You know, Kurt Cobain went there, you know, you know, all, you know Eddie Vedder went there and, and, it, and it became yep. popular like 30 years later taking those type of ideas. So something like this, the innovators during their time are always told to like, well, you shouldn't do that. Hendrix was told to turn the feedback down. You know, engineers wanted to EQ it out of Electric Ladyland. And he had to go on the board and tell them, don't change that. And, and they kept on telling him, you can't do a record like that. You can't have that level of distortion. You can't have that level of feedback. And, and a lot of times you'd be checking, you know, jazz musicians, innovators, like all the great innovators always had people telling them that you're not supposed yeah. to do that. <laughs> I've been told that a lot. <laughs> so when you, when you, yeah, yeah. So music, I mean, there are some things that you're learning. Okay, yeah, there are yes. some rules in music. You know, there's some rules in engineering. There are rules in science. But, you know, yep. Einstein broke the rule. You know, and they gave him D's and E's. They told me he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> so, so it's like a lot of times, like you take it with a grain of salt. You kind of you know, learn your craft and then it's okay. I'm actively aware of what the rule is, but I choose to break it because I want to do something different. Yeah. You know? And so I think I think it's cool to, to learn what the parameters are and then make choices. And I think every artist kind of makes those choices. Yeah. It's, it's like a good way to describe <laughs> it is a choice to not follow the rules, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, some people act like, like you're not following rules yeah. that you don't understand. And and I think some people, yeah, I think that then they think it's like a lack of your education or lack of understanding. And you have to kind of tell them that they take a personal choice as an artist. And and then, you know, whether they believe that makes it more valid or not doesn't really matter. But I think that's like somebody's first impression is their first yeah. assumption, you know, that, that, you, that you don't know. And, and I think that's when, you know, then they try to, you know, denigrate your work because they yeah. like don't know what you're doing. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting also, um, I guess you're learning all about the DAW because that's probably the, the world you live in. So what type of digital audio workstation is your right now? I've been um, right now? using Ableton live more. Um, when I first started learning, I, like started on Soundtrap because everybody said that that was like the easiest, like, like any dummy could pick it up and learn. So I was like, that sounds about right. Um, it, it was okay, but like, you can't really do much on there. It's pretty limited. Um, but it is a good place to start. I yeah. feel like, but Ableton's a lot like it, you can do more. There's so much on it. <laughs> There's so much. I don't know all yeah. of it yet. <laughs> is it like when, so does Berkeley have like a preferred thing they teach people? Is there a preferred tool that they want to tell? Or they basically they are training us, at least in the classes I'm in, in Ableton Live Suite, Reason, and Logic. And also... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, here, yeah. Yeah, Logic we haven't gotten that far yet. Time. We're about to do Reason, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I've heard Logic is hard, but I don't know. Yeah, logic is, I think it's hard to, it's like, it's kind of like a recording engineer. And the thing is, like, a recording engineer is different than an artist. It's like a whole different thing. I mean, you can, you can dive into being a recording engineer. You're not necessarily a musician, but you yeah. are an artist. You know, and recording engineers learn, like, a different level of information when it comes to song production uh, that kind of gets into the, you know, really grainy details. It's like becomes like sound science more than, and it's art and science. And you learn the, like the science behind it, and then you do learn the art behind it, and then you make choices again. But but it's different than what a musician might you know learns their instrument or learns their their voice, and it kind of works within that parameter. And then these people are working with all these tools to 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 adjust the like the painting of sound. Even people call it like sound painting. Um, 
but it's it's I think that tool ends up getting really deep into what you could do, um, kind of like the old yeah. boards, uh, like the analog boards that it still exists and kind of my preferred thing. But um, yeah, it just it's just a different skill set. But I think it's cool today. Right? I get hear more and more artists want to learn recording engineering just because of COVID. They don't want to have yeah. to pay or they can't get yeah. to it. <laughs> and they want to still put out the material. So I think it's cool that you're learning, you know, within, you know, all, all the, the DAW techniques, the more you learn, the you know, less you're dependent on, on other people. So do you find that that's part of what you want to do is you want to make me build your own studio or build your own environment in the future, like be more, hands-on yeah. control That's, over your art i would love to just be my own boss on it i guess <laughs> and not have to like go anywhere do anything special just sit in my room and you know do everything yeah i think like going yeah today it's just interesting like building a studio and it's the physical stuff you can build a studio with all your compressors and all the different like uh you know rigs you can do with your racks and, and all the vocal treatment and all the microphones and all this technical stuff that you can do and then like okay well, i'm gonna get this really awesome mic i'm gonna get all the preamps and then all these sound profile controls so i can get that you know to get a neve board everybody talks about neve analog boards which kind of like uh fleetwood mac used on rumors and you know, it kind of gives you a certain sound. Tom Petty used it on like DM the torpedoes. There's a certain sound that you get from like these analog boards that recorded all these classic albums. And there's hard, it's hard to get that sound out of some of the digital stuff. Um, and some people look for that. And people like use, you know, quarter inch tape to get a certain sound. I just listened to a band out of New Orleans that recorded the whole record. Mike wow. did, did write the tape. Um, that's cool because they wanted a certain sound and and when, when you hear it it does have a sound it sounds more like 74 Love it. than 2021 <laughs> you know and and there's a there's something about that so have you have you gotten into any debates with people about like digital versus analog or people are there people around you know when you're going to school that, that talk not about really that kind of i mean there's debate? been i've had a couple people like I guess come across my uh, pages or whatever and they're like oh so you're an artist and then I'm like tell them what I do and they're like oh well you're not really an artist you don't actually play instruments like I've had that but oh from the, from the yeah like, where they're, where they're like you're not really a music like artist because you just like do stuff on a computer and don't actually play like an instrument and I'm like okay cool well I totally disagree with that because if you think about hip-hop like in rap, it kind of started from guys that weren't trained, you know. Yeah. But, you, but even if you get to the blues, you know, we weren't we weren't trained. You know, African Americans we couldn't get trained, <laughs> so we kind of just had it, and we just did whatever we could do to get to it, right? And we created whole genres without going to school. <laughs> but um, so the idea that they they you know, get these music purists that say, well, you know. You can't be a musician if you're <laughs> yeah. in a box. It's like, well, what about hip hop? You know, what, 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 what about like Public Enemy? What about Grandmaster Flash and all these guys that did that stuff? The DJs back in the day on vinyl that came up with like what we have today uh, in hip hop. Yep. That was kind of self taught. You know, and they didn't know how to play bass, guitar, or, or, or electric guitar. They weren't like the Beatles or Pink Floyd. But they actually created music that everybody said undeniably today yep. that that's music, <laughs> you know. So, so I think it's the same thing with like you know in the box with like Daw. I mean, the Bomb Squad like on a Public Enemy album. I mean, they did massive amounts of sampling using MPCs and all, and all kinds of cool stuff. But it was kind of like the choices. So I think it's just like a recording engineer is an artist, a producer is an artist. That the choices you make when you sample. The choices you make when you make that drum, yeah, you're making artistic choices. That there's the same kind of choices that a musician makes. It's the same thing, you know. And I'm a I'm a keyboardist, so I you know I can look, you know, I, yeah, I, I know how to play keyboard, I know how to play piano, I know how to do that. But I, I respect 
a producer that can do music and I listen to a lot of music that's not created on physical instruments um so it's not it's not not it's, it's music it's all music so it doesn't really matter if you're using a washboard or a Casio, Casio or a ten dollar guitar you know what doesn't really matter if you as long as it yeah it sounds good and makes you want to listen I agree I just don't even get in debates with people like that I'm just like okay cool <laughs> like yeah, you know, it's just interesting. It's just, it's just always purists who want to tell you what what's what. You know, it's like because uh, you know, it's just. I mean, I have I have my preference. I mean, I have digital synthesizers and I have analog synthesizers. And when I say to people, they say, "Well, only use analog." Like, well, you know, if you're gonna play piano, you're probably gonna use a digital synth. Because, you know, you don't physically have a piano, so you're going to end up having to use, like, a digital synth that might use a, yeah. a sample to create that piano. And if you need that chord, I don't really right. care. I mean, it's kind of whatever serves the song. <laughs> if, I need, if I need a string song, sound, yeah. I'm not necessarily going to use a real cello. <laughs> you know, I, I need it, and I'm going to recreate it on a synth. Uh, and, and maybe that's not purist. It's like I'm not using a Boston Symphony to do it. But you know, yep. I, I need it, and I found a way to get to it. <laughs> and whether you sample that to get to that, or whether you play that to get to that, you know, it's not the real instrument. But you still made a choice of where you're going to place it, or how you're going to use it. Um, so, so would have you done DJ performances like in live settings prior to COVID, or are you doing performances like online or? How do you handle I picked like, the worst year to DJ. Yeah, um, we'll start with that. I actually like learned how to yeah. DJ 2019. <laughs> um, one of my friends taught me. He owns a like company down here. And um anyway, I basically was just doing like like parties or events, not like performing DJ, but just more like an event DJ. And then I had just like quit. Uh, like I was doing makeup and um, also waiting tables. And then I quit doing the makeup to do DJing full time and then COVID hit. So <laughs> I didn't really do much before that happened. <laughs> you got hit right. <laughs> yes. You kind of got hit right when you're the worst coming time. up. <laughs> yeah. I, that's kind of like the, the sad story of most of the bands I've interviewed in the last year, kind of like right in the middle of, you know, I'm going to go to Europe. And we're going to go do a tour in London and boom, can't do it. You know, we were going to go to Berlin or we were going to go to LA and we were going to go yeah. play the Whiskey A Go-Go and boom, we can't play. So, yeah, it's just been really frustrating. Um, have you found, have you just focused on your education and maybe just creating music uh, or you're trying to find ways to do like, I see, I keep on seeing all these online events. There's actually an artist that I interviewed in New York that's actually doing these things where like there's like a stage but there's nobody there and then they live stream all these bands from that stage and they're setting up like ticket systems and they're trying to get you know fans to actually watch these live events um with these bands actually physically playing i've on the stage watched a lot of those stream. but have not been in uh -huh. any but i would um i just don't know how to you get, yeah, I'd probably do it. Get into that, you would try to get into it. It seems like you know, until we get things under control, it seems like the only way, uh, like a lot of bands are able to kind of do. I actually saw the Gorillas. It's like you know, you know, Damon Allward and the Gorillas is like a big band. They're not as big as they used to be, but they actually I love did. The I think my daughter is like a heavy fan of them, and they had, yeah, and they actually had for like around Christmas time, they had this concert that they did in London uh, that they did in this like big warehouse and they sold tickets and they did a whole performance and it was pretty cool because they actually ran through a bunch of stuff and they had all these sets that they made and I guess they made sure they were in quarantine they had the full band playing um, and another band from Colorado called Tennis they actually do music production for other bands and stuff and they did the same thing they did like two live streams that had their fans pay for and they were really cool I mean they were they had it was a full performance and it felt and my daughter is a big fan of these two bands and she paid for the tickets and i was like well that's cool 
You should do it. You got to support the band. Yeah. Should, yeah, that's, that's what you should do. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you find in, t- in today's industry, one of the questions I always ask is yes. <laughs> people seem to think music's free. And so fans don't seem to be willing to support. And I've kind of taught my daughter that, like, if you like a band, you should probably buy their merch, buy their vinyl, buy the t shirt. Because, you know, music's not free. It takes something. She sees that I'm a musician. It takes work to do it. And she yes. feels that like she should pay for it. But it seems like that, that that's not something that a lot of fans yeah. seem to understand. I mean, I'm, I'm new. <laughs> so I can't really say much on that. But I have noticed people definitely want to find the free way to listen to things. And you do not get paid much for streaming. I have learned that <laughs> already. Like, you really don't get anything. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like back in the day, you know, like, the, you know, well, even when I was touring, I make more money if I do a show in New York City and a 300 seat club, I'll make more money than I make all year from like 40,000 streams. I mean, I, I, I do 40,000 streams, I get like, you know, yeah, under a, a couple hundred bucks or even like 150 bucks or something, depending on the rate. And and if I go to New York and do a show yeah. and sell T-shirts, I can make like four or five thousand dollars in, in a small show. And that's kind of why artists yes. do live shows because you can make way more money. You 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 know it's kind of been like that even back to the Motown days. That bands didn't really get paid a lot from the labels. They got like ten, they got like ten cents, five cents for a play, you know, uh, for for uh, from their record sales, and then they physically made money from touring. They would actually make more cash touring. It seems to be the same thing, even going into today yeah. from the fifties to today is the same situation. So we have to find other ways. And one thing as an electronic musician, I'm always telling new musicians is like sync licensing, like owning your master, you know, getting your stuff into film, TV, advertising. That's how you can make sure that you actually earn money as a musician. If you can get like even 30 seconds of a song you know, licensed for a TV show or a commercial or advertising or use on the net um, and you get a good contract. Yeah. You make streaming's like, <laughs> it's like nothing. <laughs> well, it's a way to get, so I, yes. you know, a podcaster can find you, your audience finds you and then they go to your show. It's kind of like the radio. I mean, it's the entry point to get you out there. Yes. And to get people aware of who you are. And then from there, you get them to your website, sell them a t-shirt, sell them a poster, sell them vinyl, get them to go to your show, um, you know, yeah. get them to pay for you on Patreon, you know, uh, that, that that's where you get the customer engaged because they become aware of who you are. And then from there, you got to market. So are they teaching as part of your course I don't know music marketing I, are you learning I'm that? assuming I know that um courses? one of the classes I'm going to take in the last semester is going to be music business so I'd assume they'd teach me marketing in there but yeah that's good I think all musicians yes. need to go and take that kind of course online <laughs> or learn it somewhere um because the history of music is that record labels, no matter how well intentioned. That is exactly why I made right sure I picked music musician. business <laughs> when I was picking up like the classes that I wanted to register for. Cause I've heard so many horror stories about people getting taken advantage of. And I just like, I don't want that to be me. <laughs> I mean, I know it's going to inevitably be like, something's going to happen, but hopefully I'll know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, just to get the, the, yeah, yeah, the business is just fraught with even the big labels. The deals are not, are not really advantageous to the artist. And sometimes you're kind of like, okay, well, then to get a bigger reach to be able to get on into a tour, to be able to get to a venue. Sometimes you got to have this agent or you got to have your marketing team and it's part of some label. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, you got to take a poison pill to a certain degree. Um, but you've got to like yes. be smart about like what you give them. Uh, <laughs> like you're making sure that you own your publishing, that you, if you give that you have a significant amount of the publishing, if you have to give some of it up, 
that you don't get like yeah. a 70 30 where they have 70 and you've got 30. You know, <laughs> or yeah, you got 80 and you got 20. Yes. You no, know, you, you got to have like 80 and they got 20. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah, um, the record label that do. offered me um, <laughs> for the, the song that everybody said take off my EP offered like an, like for, I guess the song, not the publishing, but like an 80 20 deal. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 what typical of their time. Like you know, what's closer to like being you know even something that's better. Like I've I've got I've got like seventy thirty on a couple of deals, distribution marketing deals, and I've got like sixty forty on some. But when they flip it the other way, this kind of suspect is because you know can they try to do it? Can they say, well, we'll get you here, we'll get you there, we'll get you there? I was like, okay, really? Um, because part of the problem is like how they pay, you know, they, a lot of times they pay yeah, like, semi-annually or quarterly. And yeah. then the other part is that what's the accounting for the place. And it's been notorious that even big bands have had to sue. Yeah. To that's find not out cool. What is the accurate number of plays? <laughs> and, and, and the fact that they can't be honest about the play count is, <laughs> is, is it kind of gets to the whole heart of the problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so if you it's like you got big bands like like Pearl Jam and uh you know Wilco, big, big known bands that have gone independent because of that, because because of the play count problem and, and and getting their own actuaries to count the plays and to count the sales just because the industry's been like fraught with funny business with that stuff which yes. is it's not cool it's like because we're trying to you know we're artists yeah and we're not tend tend to not want to be business people um, it's not kind of our first goal was not to be an actuary um <laughs> you know or an accountant um and 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 they kind of prey on that they, they you know that they, they you don't you'd rather be interested in like get me on the stage get me to get me to london you know get me on this show uh and then, you know, I worry about everything I was after. But, you know, you, you kind of have to be smarter now. Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely fortunate. Um, well, I have Chance who, like, always gives me good advice. And then I made friends with somebody who's actually, like, a a manager. He's um, actually talking to the label right now to see if, like, he can help me get a better deal from them, I think. But I know I lucked out with that. But if I ever... That's cool. It's good to get advocates, you know, it's good to have, like, but people don't realize, nope. like, you get a label, but that doesn't mean you've got a tour manager. It doesn't, you doesn't mean you have artist representation. It's like, there's so many different hats in, in the business that you find out, it's like, oh, I actually need a booker. If I want to show, the record label might not actually get me in there, I actually need a booker. Um, and that ends up being, like, something a lot of people get confused. It's like, they, well, how can the label doesn't book me anywhere? Because they don't really do that i mean they used to do that yeah um but now you kind of got to get your yeah own it's book. a lot different than people think it's going to be <laughs> you know? for sure but uh yeah yeah i mean getting the booking agency yeah. is core to your income stream and it's kind of like like if you can get a decent booking industry that actually can get you you know or they if they pay that your hotel gets paid for it's in your contract your, 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 you know, your travel gets paid for. It's in contract, you know, that they got to pay you a certain amount that they count the people in the crowd. You get a certain percentage of the ticket. They're the ones that do that, you know, that make sure that happens. And like the, the, the better agency you get that has access to the venues, that's what you want. You know, when venues start opening again, you know, that's, and I was in the situation. I, I finally got a booker. You got to send me to like Berlin and London. Then COVID happens. <laughs> So it's just like, <laughs> oh great! I finally got a booker. That I'm all signed up, and then COVID is like, so now I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's kind of core in what we do is it's like the understanding of the different roles and how you actually get on a stage, how you get into you know your music on on in, into video games. You know how how do you get how do you do that? You know you have you gotta get the people that can get you that that place. But um. So what what are your what are your plans? Uh, um, hopefully to get through school, and um, I mean I'll be in school for a few more years, I guess. But get through this 
year of school and then keep my sanity and make as many songs as I can that are actually decent. And I don't know. Um, I know at one point Chance was saying he wanted to like go on tour, but obviously I don't think it's going to happen with COVID, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I think maybe fourth quarter things might get to a point where you could actually have some kind of venues open. Um, but it's kind of like based on how many people get vaccinated. But um, yeah, the, I think it's getting to a point. Man, I do like the drive-in type of uh, concerts. With the, I think that that by the time you get to the summer, there's going to be a lot of because a lot yeah. of venue people, the guys who run venues, they're like, well, how are we going to make money? And the only way to really do it is the drive-in kind of concept. Um, if you want to make money this year people who invest in that drive-in type of um, festival that allows people to be in their cars and actually see bands on stages. I think that's potentially where we could, a lot of artists are going to be able to do something. Um, so hopefully that gets more attention. I've seen in like LA and San Francisco, there's been stuff like that happening and I've actually seen some of them put them on TV or on the net. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen as many lately because I think it's pretty bad. <laughs> right now people haven't been able to focus I've on that. I've been to two of them. They're actually we really cool. We can do that. But... Yeah, so it sounds like, to me, that that's more, you know, guys who run venues need to, like, take advantage of that and try to create something. You know, somebody's got to invest in it. But, yeah. Um, hopefully they, that will happen because I think that's that's kind of like the core. I think more people would be into that than the online. Um, you know, because yeah. they want to be interacting with the band. It stuff. really feels like so the two I, I went to, it felt like a real show. Like you, I mean, you had to stay away from people. I almost kind of liked it. Like they, you had to stay away from people because I don't like um, being yeah. like in the middle of a huge, like sweaty crowd, you know, yeah, people you throwing you around. <laughs> so, yeah. That was one thing about going to see Nirvana or Pearl Jam. Yes. <laughs> is like, you know, the likelihood of getting a boot in your face was was kind of like, yeah, okay, like, I like this band, but I don't, I don't want, want like, to face. have to get a nose job after <laughs> or anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm into that. I mean, I was at Woodstock when Green Day had the mud event. <laughs> um, I was actually there. And, you know, it wasn't just Green Day getting mud thrown on them. <laughs> and anybody that was Aww. like in the range, we were all getting hit. <laughs> and it was like, okay, wait, like I, I, this that seems sound cool until you get uh, mud and rocks thrown at you. <laughs> I mean, I guess That's usually how things go. People than what it actually felt like being there. <laughs> yeah, but um. It's cool to have have you on the show, and uh, as you put out new material, um, it, when your EP is ready to go, come out, we ha we have a tendency to have artists come on again and help promote their work. And so, when you're ready to to drop another project or you want to push it, uh, we we have um, had programs where we go through and kind of do a record release or project release program. That's awesome. And we push push a person's um, new new work. So if you've got like a target date and you want to kind of align it to get some press, you know, you can use oh, our, thank you our channel to do that. If you that. Want. And thanks for having so me on cool. here. It's, it's been fun. Now we're going to push this out. We are on 11 platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, many, many more. As soon as we publish, it gets migrated automatically to all those platforms. We will send you a link to the Apple and Spotify and Anchor FM version of the show. And that will be within the next hour. And uh, we will promote it on our uh, Instagram and our you know channel. So it allows us to actually directly promote the oh, Spotify awesome. version because Anchor <laughs> FM is actually part of Spotify. And so we will push the Spotify version, which actually will be clickable through the highlights. So that, that'll be the version that people, as soon as they hit the That's button, cool. they'll be able to go right to the Spotify version of the podcast. Thank you for having me. So thank you for being on the show. 
and uh, we hope everybody. Oh, no problem. We love talking to every all the artists out sure. there. It's, as a musician, it's cool to talk to other musicians. So, thank you. That's uh, something we like to do. Well, thank you. Um, and we'll talk to you later. And have you know? Do I, we're very psyched that you're you're at Aww. at Berkeley because that's something we always wanted to do. That's a cool thing. So, if we talk to you again. We'll probably yes. find out how you're doing. I'll probably there, have a lot to talk about. The depth of what you've learned. Bye. <laughs>